Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. All right, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, look at you guys moving up from back over in the corner to like second row, almost center. Yeah. Yeah. Lorena Rondi. Yes. Is that what it was? Is there more leg room here? Okay. Um, guys, it's a, it's a calamity this morning. Um, we almost started the service with Justin Bieber. And uh, it was playing on the loudspeakers, and someone almost got fired. I'm just it's, it's sorry that you had to, had to see that. All right. Uh, good morning. My name, my name is Mike, and uh, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, we're world champions for the first time in, uh, in a bunch of years. So, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the mercy, the pity. Appreciate that. All three are like, I don't care. What's your, okay, what's your hat? What's your hat say? Brixton. Brixton? What's that? It's just a company. Oh, okay. So you're just promoting a commercial image. Okay, because we don't have enough of those out there. All right, all right. Do you have a football team? The Broncos? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. We're 0 for 2 this morning. We, might, we may just have to start the morning all over again. Uh, bless you, Broncos. Um, so we're really thrilled you're here. My name is Mike. If you're new to Vox, um, welcome. A couple of things before you get started. Uh, We have a website, voxoc.com, that serves a bunch of purposes. Number one, you can let us know that you are here today and fill out an info card. Number two, we have something called a New to Vox dinner that we do once a month. Uh, It's coming up here in July in uh, three weeks, I think, or so. Um, And space is limited for that because it's over at our house. And then um, number three, uh, I just want to say good morning. Look Look at this crew right here. Look at this crew. Good morning, guys. We're glad you're here. I'm, I, listen, I want you to find a good seat, get comfortable. We almost had Justin Bieber going this morning, which was, a, you just missed it, but it would have been awful. Um, what was I talking about? Church. Website, church, yes. Oh, yeah, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Hey, here we are on a Sunday. What do you say? Uh, particularly if you are somebody uh, that does not normally go to church or you've been somebody hurt by the church, you've been marginalized by the church, we have this little slogan that you see everywhere, it's called Safe to Belong, and it's one we actually desperately want to mean. And what that, one of the ways that manifests itself is uh, that you can participate or non-participate as much as you would like in, uh, in the time we have together. So that means if you feel like singing, great. If you don't, great. If you want to sleep, You'll, many people will join you by the time I'm done. Um, you can go ahead and sleep. If you want to get up and stand and lift your arms, great. If you want to cross your arms, great. We're just thrilled you're here regardless. So uh, let us get to know you at voxoc.com. We have a couple of huge values at our church. Number one, we believe the church exists to love and serve the world and to stop judging it. And how that manifests itself is that we want to make our gatherings radically and unapologetically Jesus-centered, but we want to make them very, very approachable for folks that aren't normally uh, included in uh, these sorts of gatherings. And so we're super excited about the kinds of people God is bringing. Secondly, we uh, are very passionate about the next generation uh, of people. So if you're a high school or college student, would love to meet you after the service. Love to meet all of you, but particularly you. And then thirdly, um, we, we deeply believe that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. And so one of the big values we have is storytelling and telling stories that aren't perfect and aren't polished. And that's kind of all of us, if we're honest. But, uh, so we just have somebody every week that kind of either kicks off the service or right before the Lord's Supper shares a little bit. So I want to introduce you to my friend Rebecca. Rebecca, I hope you're back there and that you're coming out right now. There she is. This is Rebecca. So Rebecca is part of our Vox team, and uh, she's an amazing writer. Hi. Hi. Hold it up. Hi. Yeah, <laughs> let it touch the chin. All right, you ready? Okay. Now, all right, so you highlighted some of it? Yeah, and I scribbled. And, and you scribbled it? Notes. All right, perfect. So. All right, good. <laughs> okay. Did you have Mike might interrupt? Yeah, I left room for that. Oh, you left room for that. Okay, <laughs> excellent. This is Rebecca. All right. My name is Rebecca Rotelli, and I struggle with anxiety. 
I am currently in the process of learning to be courageous and to express my feelings instead of hiding them in shame, as I have done for too long. And so I need to give myself permission to be angry at the circumstances that have increased my anxiety and caused me pain. I lament the misconduct that has damaged some important areas of my life. But even though I will permit myself to be angry, I will not operate from inside of it. Because Jesus offers a third way. Not anger, not retreat, but graceful introspection into my own heart. This is my story. I have always been a worrier. I worry mainly about the people I am close to because I love them deeply. I desire to help bring spiritual direction and insight to those around me. But the beautiful gift of empathy becomes toxic when it couples with anxiety. I allowed my worries for others to blind me to the responsibility I should have for myself first. I had some people in my life that I genuinely wanted to help, but all my efforts backfired. My concerns were not well received. I internalized all the harsh judgment and sharp criticism that came back to me. I started believing the lie that I was overreacting, and I began to feel personally responsible for the failures of other people. I believed the critics who said that there was darkness in me, that I should come back to reality, that I should stop being so negative. My genuine concern became labeled as ridiculous overreaction. And so I became deeply ashamed of my great emotional capacity. People were rapidly tearing down my confidence and nobody was building it back up in the way that I needed. Anxiety became my constant companion. It got so bad that I expected my life might end soon. Not because I would try to end it, because I could not imagine it was possible to live very long with such terrible anxiety. Sometimes I could not eat or sleep. I was in constant pain. I was exhausted from my most basic duties as a wife and mother of two small children. I was taking a constant stream of eight different over-the-counter medications. I was losing weight, and I developed strange intolerances to a wide range of foods. I had no appetite, and all food tasted like ashes in my mouth. I kept my anxiety at bay with exhausting willpower, and I looked like I was okay, but I knew something was wrong with me. I was spending all my free time lying on the couch with my eyes shut, playing over and over again in my head all the failed conversations and grieving the damage that had been done. Anxiety was breaking my mind and body down. I knew I was physically unwell, but I also began to seriously question my mental and emotional health. Eventually, I decided I needed professional help. So swallowing whatever was left of my dwindling pride, I picked up the phone and booked my first appointment at the Almond Clinics in Costa Mesa, California. For those of you who have not heard of it, that's a mental health care facility for the mentally ill. And so I wondered if I was admitting my utter failure as an emotional human being. I was afraid that everyone was going to discredit all my feelings and I might be called crazy. I felt that I had just devalued all my opinions and emotions and made a case for all the criticism on the other side. That was a really hard day. And so I began the humiliating process of answering hard questions, submitting to brain scans, blood tests, psychiatric evaluations, physicals, and mental health evaluations. And this is where Jesus comes in. He met with me while I was lying totally still and silent with my head taped down inside a brain scanning machine. And I prayed to him to forgive my pride even while it was being taken away from me. Afterwards, I snuck out the back of the clinic to wash the medical gel out of my hair in the public bathroom. As I leaned over the sink, drying my hair with paper towels, I could not look at myself in the mirror even for a moment. I avoided my own eyes because I was deeply ashamed of what I would see there. This is where God began his beautiful restorative work in my soul. My lowest moment is also my new beginning. That is where my pride was fully crushed so that my empathy for others could be restored. My brain was not wired to feel the weight of the world on it. It was meant to feel care and concern for people in a gentle manner, the way Jesus would if he was walking in my shoes. At the end of all my medical appointments, I walked away with the following diagnosis. According to my brain scans, I had gone into a state of post-traumatic stress disorder, which had triggered chronic anxiety and a number of other health issues. According to several of the brain scans, it also looked like I had suffered severe head trauma, even though I had not. So I was instructed to take 13 herbal supplements and one antidepressant every single day for a grand total of 31 pills daily. Without some major lifestyle changes, I cannot have a healthy mind or body anymore, and so I adopt them because I know I am dependent on a new way of living to help me heal. 
It keeps me in a posture of constant humility because I am reminded daily that I will always need to be aware of my tendency towards anxiety and the physical consequences of it. I now stand before you a much different person than I was a few short months ago. I am wounded, I am cautious, and I am fragile. And I am empathetic towards others now because I have lived on the receiving side of criticism and judgment. But most of all, I am so grateful because I got to walk through it with Jesus. He met me at my worst, forgave me just as I was, and allowed me to lean on him as we walk through my mess together. My name is Rebecca Rotelli, and I struggle with anxiety. Thank you. Thank you. That was, listen, that was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's a ton of courage. Wouldn't you agree? So um, if, you're, uh, if you're someone in process, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the club. We're glad you're here. Um, last week, we, uh, and Jody, it's so fun with your head back like that. You're reminding me of why I can't wear a kilt up here. And um, just, it was one of our, one of the things we were thinking about. We won't think about it anymore. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we felt like there weren't enough women here. And so we thought, I mean, if you put me in a kilt, maybe that will increase, you know. Just, sorry. I just, it was Bieber that threw me. Um, uh, so, so one of the things that we did, if you were if you were here last week, uh, we talked about we talked about lament uh, as a public expression of uh, joining others in their grief. And for some of us, are still wearing our our black wristbands. One of the things we asked you to do was to write down something you were lamenting and to bring it up and to take the the bread and the cup and to leave that piece of lament here as you took the Eucharist, and uh, we went through, and we, we looked, we asked you not to put your names on them. The only one I knew was my wife's, when she said, well, I, I, that was going to make another joke. Um, I'll be serious. Uh, uh, if, if what you wrote are the, um, it, it, it was so unbelievably heartbreaking to hear the pain in the room. And, um, and so what, what we thought we would do as a way to kind of enter back into that space was to take ones that weren't personalized. And um, I want to invite Izzy back out. Um, she sang a song last week that was really powerful. And she's going to sing that song again, but we're going to put some of the laments that people wrote up on the screen. And then we're going to take two, then we're going to sing two songs together. Again, sing or not, it's, it's just fine. Uh, and then we're going to talk about what we've seen and, and why that matters. But for some of you, you'll see your words up here. And, and please know there was no guessing uh, as to whatever. It was, it was more just the overwhelming nature of the pain that sits in a community like this. And here we are. We're just fine. We look great, you know, whatever. And then you realize, oh, no, there is something so, so deep um, in terms of woundedness that, that sits in a, in a room with this many people together. So, so what we'll do is we'll look at these on the screen as she sings, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing a, a couple of songs together, and then um, we'll kind of go from there, all right? So go ahead, take it away, Izzy. Just hold me Let me catch my breath Cause I can't breathe I'm surrounded by death But there's still hope Even when it's lost And even though All I have is God I know that you are strong Storm. I know that you are mighty. I trust 
give me your hand I'm knocked down to my knees I don't have strength to stand But there's still hope Even when it's lost And even though All I have is God I know that you are strong I know that you are loving You satisfy my soul I find rest in you alone I know that you're my refuge My anchor through the storm I know that you So Rebecca's story, and then what was written on the screens, how, how did that, what did you, what were you thinking and feeling when you were reading some of those things? You can't believe you wrote so much stuff up there, yes, okay, as your wife goes, yeah. What else? Yes, but not all at once. <laughs> I wish you'd be quicker. But yes, for sure. I just thought it was so interesting. We're singing God Reigns right after that list. And it's such an interesting juxtaposition for people of faith, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Oh, and, th- and that was maybe an eighth of what we received, there were some that were so heartbreaking, we just didn't feel right putting them on the screen. I mean, it was so heavy. Sad. It, very sad. All right, no preaching. All right, I just want your reaction. There's one preacher right here. But yeah, it, it, what's that? Yeah. It's so easy to feel by yourself. It's so easy to feel alone. 
And you read something like that and you're like, oh, how many marriages are struggling? Oh, how many people hate being single? Oh, how many, how many people have issues with their fathers? Oh, how many people struggle with mental health? Ooh, how many people have disappointed somebody else or have been disappointed? And you realize, oh. And part of what we are reacting against in some of the forms of Christianity we've inherited is the fact that none of that is usually talked about, addressed, or welcomed while it's ugly. It's only talked about after it's all put together. And what I love about Rebecca and the stories that people are sharing, literally the first service we had, we, we had a, a very brave young man say, um, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I tried to commit suicide in February. And you're just like, these, these are the stories that are sitting in this, in this room. And, and so um, we, we just have a high value in being very honest. Uh, and, and it's interesting, Jesus, not shockingly, addresses some of this stuff. And so uh, if you're a Bible kind of person, you've got one on your phone, go ahead and fire it up to the book of John. Or uh, if you have, oh, look it, you've got paper. Uh, go ahead, and if you're not a Bible kind of person, we're gonna put everything up on the screen uh, for you to follow along with. So John chapter 9. Bruce, go ahead and put Admiral Akbar up first. So this is from my friend Greg, whose name is Pete in my head. So this is, this is the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus and Admiral Akbar saying it's a trap. So this is Return of the Jedi. So that, that at any time, anywhere for the rest of my life, when it says the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, that's going up, okay? Just know that's what's happening, all right? This isn't one of those instances. I just wanted to show the picture um, just for, to prepare you. But Jesus gets into trouble. Now, for a couple of Sundays, we were, we were looking at kind of the insults about Jesus. But then Orlando happened, and that opened up a whole thing in our community uh, of lament last week, and then, and then we want to kind of do a part two. We don't want to just sit in, okay, there is this deep pain that's sitting in our uh, community, in our lives, and, and to some degree or another, we're in touch with it, we're not in touch with it, we're in process, we're moving on, however it is, but there are some things that Jesus so clearly addresses that need to be spoken over a community like ours that's kind of, for some of us, just in the middle of limping along. And, uh, and so Jesus has this really interesting encounter. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, there's an assumption here that is as old as religion itself. And the assumption's this. When good things happen to you, the gods are pleased with you. When bad things happen to you, the gods are angry with you, right? And, and this is as old, I mean, the oldest recorded religious documents we've got from every area of the world, whether it's, whether it's the idea of karma, whether it's the idea of rewards and punishments eternally, whatever, there is this assumption in here. That if life is going well, the gods have favored you. If life is going poorly, the gods are cursing you. Uh, um, in the ancient Near East, if we won the battle, it was because our God is stronger than the other God. If, if, if our crops have been destroyed, it's because we sinned in our community. And, and some of this is taught in the Bible. The nation of Israel sat under a, something called a conditional covenant. It was a promise that was conditional. That if they loved and worshipped and honored their God, things would go well. And if they did not, they would ultimately uh, be subject to other nations coming in and taking over their land, or disasters, or ultimately they got kicked out of their land, uh, called exile, because they refused to repent of their ways. But the problem was they took this conditional covenant in, in Bible times, and they blew it up into an all-encompassing formula. So by Jesus' day, any deformity, any handicap, any anything was attributed to either your sin or the sin of your parents. And the reason it's interesting that this guy was born blind 
was because he hadn't been able to sin yet before he was blind. So did he sin in his womb uh, and was struck with blindness, or did his parents sin? Because clearly blindness means you're cursed by God. So who sinned? Who screwed up? And this assumption is, is everywhere. And it's even here today, right? When Hurricane Katrina hit, very, and I use Christian in quotes, you know, said, well, this is very clearly God's judgment against New Orleans or the, the Haiti earthquakes or 9-11 or whatever it is. I mean, there is always the temptation to take an event and say, well, it's their fault. The God is somehow not happy. And there are always Christian leaders too happy to join in to that parade. Jesus explicitly refutes that theology in a number of places. But I want you to see the assumption, the assumption is still around today. I was just having, right before the service, I was talking to someone on our team. She's going through some really deep and really personal pain. And she said, and I asked her permission, she said, and I'm cataloging all of my sins to see if there was something I did that caused this. And you're sitting there, and I said, okay, today's for you. <laughs> I didn't realize, but today's for you. Because Jesus explicitly rejects this idea. Notice, so the disciples say, okay, well, the assumption is someone sinned. Jesus says this great word here. Ready? Verse 3, verse 2, verse 3, verse 3. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? What's, what's the first word of verse 3? Neither. Neither. Sorry, not a straight line there. Sorry, the formula doesn't work. Sorry, your assumption's wrong. It doesn't work that way. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now stop there. Jesus refuses the assumption. So to the young lady I was talking to, is it because of sin that this deep, painful thing happened to you? Are there consequences? Sure, of course there are consequences. But there are things that have happened to us that aren't the consequence of anything else other than we live in a fallen and broken world. And so Jesus, and I, and I want to show you another place where Jesus refutes this, so keep your finger in John, or however you do it on a tablet, and go to the book of Luke. <laughs> go to Luke chapter 13. Here Jesus refutes this. We'll be back to John. We'll be back. Don't worry. I know you're nervous. Not really. You guys okay today? Well, I like it. Luke chapter 13. So, listen to this. Oh, man. Jesus gets fired up. I like this guy. G, verse, verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, right. What in the world does that mean? Jesus was from Galilee, so these were folks that came down to sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem and were put to death for some reason. When it says their blood was mixed with sacrifice, it didn't mean there was some witch doctor in the back mixing blood together. It was that they were killed at the temple while they were either going to offer sacrifice or coming back from it. So that the idea was the sacrifice's blood was shed, but so were the people who had come to offer it. Make sense? Pilate was the Roman official over that region. So this is something, I mean, this, this is a national calamity. Pilate evidently murdered some of Jesus' countrymen while they were in the temple sacrificing, right? So a huge deal. Jesus answered, and notice, here's the assumption. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? What's the assumption? Well, if something that bad happened to them, they must have deserved it. Jesus knows that instantly and says, do you think that's true? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. In other words, don't take an inventory of their life, take an inventory of yours. Don't worry about them. Worry about you. Or... What about those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? All right, now this is just an accident. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? 
I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you likewise will perish. Now, what's Jesus doing? First thing he's doing is he's saying, hey, your assumption's absolutely wrong. Absolutely. Sometimes accidents happen. Sometimes stuff happens. We live in a fallen and broken world. Sometimes stuff happens. And because they're kids, we'll keep it at stuff. But you know what I mean. But then the second thing he says is, why are you worrying about their status before me? You worry about yours. So he just takes the opportunity to say, enough with the judgment about the victims. Enough. This is a great opportunity for you to ask. If you were that person, are you ready? And so Jesus here does what he does so beautifully again. He takes an assumption commonly held in his culture he smashes it when their man is sitting there born blind. But then, in another place, hey, what about those people that were murdered at the temple? Or what about the tower that fell? Listen, there is no one-to-one -one correspondence. Sometimes bad things happen. The biblical story is that the world is under powers and principalities that are hostile to God, and the world, even down to the very nature of creation itself, is broken. It is fallen in the biblical language. And that when bad things happen, you cannot look at the bad things and draw conclusions either about you or about God. Because that's the temptation when you're operating with the assumption, right? If the assumption is that this happened to me because God's disciplining me or I did something wrong, the assumption then is, well, I've got to look inside to find my sin or God isn't as good as we thought God was. The Bible presents another option. That it wasn't you deserving it, and it wasn't God doing it. <laughs> the tower fell on 18 people. Pilate killed these Galileans. The man was born blind. So he questions the assumption. And for that young lady, and for some of us, see, I don't have that assumption. I think I'm entitled to good. I don't ever walk around thinking I'm entitled to bad. I walk around when good doesn't come, and I'm like, well, look at all I do. Right? So I have the opposite issue. It's kind of like the people that struggle with anxiety and get skinny. I have the anxiety struggle, too. It's driven me to ice cream. Not away. Not away, Rebecca. She said to me earlier in the week, she said, I'll take some of your body fat. I said, you can have it. You can have all of it. So Jesus takes this assumption and he crushes it. Because you're sitting here, and some of you, not all of you, but some of you are trying to draw that line. What happened? And you're worried about what God's like or you're worried about what you're like. And maybe, maybe, maybe that we live in a fallen world. I remember a guy, we first found out about our son who uh, has Down syndrome, and I had a very nice, well-meaning guy look at me and say, hey, isn't it nice to know that God is giving you a child with Down syndrome? And I didn't quite know what to make of that. I'm like, so he's got a storehouse of kids with extra chromosomes, and he's just looking for special families. Is that what you're telling me? He's got a storehouse with kids with cerebral palsy, and he's just looking. I, I, I'm not quite sure I buy that. He's got a storehouse of cancer, and he's just waiting. The, the picture of God often we get, go ahead and put the smite God up there, Bruce. Remember the far side? You see the smite button? So it says God at, at his computer. All right, I'll get out of the way. Don't, don't, don't pretend like you've got to look that far, all right? Let me just turn sideways. Oh, it's the microphone, sure. Sure. So it's this poor schmo just walking down the street. Here's the... Here's the Here's a piano being hung by a rope and God with his finger over the smite button. And is that not the, the, the view of God that many people subconsciously carry? Just waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting for that phone call, and God's up there in control of it all. We're, we're releasing a podcast tomorrow where we try to, we can't do it here, 
where we try to argue that there are other wills done on earth than God's will. God's will isn't cancer. God's will isn't rape. God's will isn't murder. God's will isn't molestation or abuse. God doesn't will mental illness. When Jesus, who is the definitive picture of God, walked the earth, he was healing this stuff. He never once blamed people for it. Never once. And anytime he did talk about who was doing it, he always mentioned the adversary, the, principal, the, the principalities, and the powers. God's heart is for restoration and healing. So, when you're in a room with a bunch of people who are lamenting, the temptation is for some of them to think, oh, okay, well, God's behind it, or I've deserved it. And Jesus says, neither. Go back to John. Back to John. Okay, you never left. You're still there. Is that kind of PDA allowed in church? I don't know. It's very distracting. No, I'm kidding. It's not really distracting. What's more distracting is Jody sitting like this. That's way more distracting. Back to John. Now, Jesus has another. We interrupted Jesus right in the middle of a sentence. Hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, for those of you non-Bible people, and, and, and what I mean by that is you're not interested in it or you think it's a bunch of hooey or whatever it is. I've got to do a little Greek because that was the language this was written in. Keep that up if you would, Bruce. In English, it sounds like what Jesus is saying is this guy was born blind so that now I can show up and heal him. Right? That's what it sounds like. Because neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Right? That sounds like Jesus is giving the reason. No, he didn't sin. It was just that God wanted to show off right now and heal the guy. But here's what's interesting. The so that isn't in the Greek language. Here's how the Greek, here's how the Greek literally reads. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but let displayed the works of God in him. But let be displayed the works of God in him. Do you hear so that anywhere? Now the reason we, we provide a so that in English is because we think Jesus is still answering the question, who sinned? And still giving the reason why the man was born blind. I think Jesus is doing something far more radical. He's saying not only is your assumption wrong that misfortune is cursing and blessing equals the God's favor with you, not only is that assumption wrong, but you're asking the wrong question. The who sinned, who's to blame question, why me, why, why them, good luck with that. Jesus refocuses the issue where? But let the work of God be displayed in his blindness. The blindness is here, speculating on it's irrelevant. It's here, it's here. But let the work of God now be displayed in it. And you know what Jesus does? Heals the man. He heals the man. Now, why does this matter? Your pain's here. Some of it's self-inflicted, correct? Right? Very, very slow murmur on the self-inflicted part. Yeah, pain is here. Yes! Self-inflicted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, a lot of it, some of it. Some of it not deserved. Some of it very deserved in the earthly sense. And so it's very easy for people in the middle of lament to say, okay, what did I do? Or is God not as good as I thought? Is he really the smite God that's just up there on the button? If we are to take our cues about what God is like from Jesus, remember Jesus is the form physically of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God's being. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form, meaning Jesus reveals more than anything else what God is actually like. Jesus never played the blame game, ever. What he did instead is he used suffering as an opportunity to let the works of God be displayed. 
And so for those of you, you're sitting in the mess. You have, a, you have a choice to make. Anger, bitterness, the smite God, the withdrawing of God, the withdrawing of me from God or me from faith or whatever. Or the invitation of Jesus to let the works of God be displayed in the midst of your brokenness. Even if it's self-inflicted. So let's say you blew your marriage up. Let's say you're the one that got into debt. Let's say that you have you're the you have the one anger problem. Let's say you're the fault. Let's own it. Let's call it what it is. Let's feel the full weight of it. And then let's not give the adversary permission to use that the rest of your life to keep you in bondage. There is this thing that Jesus does called forgiveness. There is this thing he does called restoration. There is this thing he does called renewal. So you're sitting there in your crap who sinned? Neither. But let the works of God be displayed in it. You have the opportunity to open yourself up to the redemptive purposes of God. I mean, this is the very famous verse in the New Testament where Paul says, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ. He doesn't say all things are good. He just says everything works together for good. So you're sitting with a massive amount of pain. Jesus would say, collapse the judgment game. You're done judging. You're done. We don't know why it happened. We live in an infinitely and unfathomably complex world. There is no one-to-one correspondence. The, the whole point of the book of Job is you don't know. So shut your yap. That's the point of the book of Job. You don't know. So when we're grieving with each other, let's practice. Hey, do you know why this happened? Say, no, I don't know. Hey, do you know why this happened? No, I don't know. I don't know. But what if we invited God to let his works be displayed in the midst of it? Does that make it easy? Does that mean it goes away? Of course not. It means that God is such a genius at turning ugly things into beautiful things, we're tempted to believe he had the ugly thing planned all along. But Jesus is so clear, God doesn't do ugly things. He just turns ugly things into beautiful things. And so you're sitting here full of condemnation. You're sitting here full of shame and guilt. You're sitting here full of anger and bitterness and self-loathing. And Jesus of Nazareth is not sitting there going, yep, you you deserved it. Sit in it. What Jesus of Nazareth is saying is, neither. You're done. The judgment game is done. God's Desire for you is healing and restoration and forgiveness so that that ugly can be turned to beautiful. And he's done this. I mean, we have this seven-year-old little guy that you see running around. And we've talked so frequently about our, our little boy who initially when we found out he had Down syndrome, we were terrified. And I'm embarrassed to say we were terrified and we were upset about that. And there were people upset at our being upset. And I get that. But now we know we're wrong. And to have seen what this, what this little dude who we thought was going to wreck our family, what he's done. Do you know how much healing he's brought to the world? Do you know how many kids in orphanages in Russia who have Down syndrome have been adopted because of him? Do you know how many parents who wanted to give up those, their children who had Down syndrome for adoption? And I totally don't blame them. But do you know how many have chosen to keep those children children once they see what our little dude has done to our kids i mean you just go okay some of the most painful i mean i I so rebate with rebate i so relate with rebecca's story or rebate for short and (laughs) and because, I mean, I went through, and I'm still going through clinical depression and anxiety. I hate it. I have to take medication. I hate it. I've prayed for years for God to let it, just take it away. Because it's, it's, it does things to me I just don't like. And what's God say? Who sinned? Neither. But let's, the work, let's allow the work of God to be displayed in you. And I can't tell you how much that has happened as I go limping along, and you realize, oh, there are a whole bunch of people who just needed permission to limp too. Okay. 
Okay. So I just wanted to take a few moments to talk about where lament goes. Because as Paul says, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Our hope is, yes, Jesus heals. So we pray for healing. We pray for deliverance. I still pray for healing. We also realize that we know the end of the story. And so we can weep in the middle of it, even knowing the end. But there will come a time when it won't be this way. We just know that. But one level deeper, we just have to get out of the blame game. Neither. But let the work of God be displayed. So you sit with a difficult marriage, a difficult singlehood, a difficult piece of pain, a difficult struggle. What's the invitation of Jesus? The invitation is to let him in. To let him in. To let him in. To not run, to not hide. When you think God is like the smite button God, you push him away when you need him most. When you think he's like Jesus, you come running. Hence that song. Or go running into your arms. So, what we wanted to do today is we wanted to take the bread and the cup as an act of defiant hope in the midst of our sorrow. As an act of invitation to let Jesus into our pain. Because, and, and remember, this was, this was given by Jesus, the bread and the cup, given by Jesus to, to represent and allow us to participate in a theology that says God knows exactly what it feels like to be deserted, to be alienated, to be lonely, to be abandoned, to be betrayed, to be mocked, to be scorned. He, he knows what it's like to have friends leave you. Like when it says his body was broken for you, he's sympathetic. He gets it. We, we have a God who understands the fallenness of the world. And the cup represents the God for all of those who will call upon the name of this Jesus, the God who forgives, restores, cleans. He doesn't wait for you to get your act up together. So we don't, if you're here and all you have is the tiniest bit of faith, maybe you don't even buy this whole thing, but there's something about the bread and the cup that compels you, come. Maybe you're here and you're just an absolute mess. This is for you. This is for you. This is, this is for people with unclean slates and really screwed up lives. Anyone who doesn't need this, then let it go. But as it turns out, all of us do. So we open the table up to you with gluten-free options over here, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what we're going to do, we're going to open up the rest of the service. You can come down, take the bread and the cup. And as you do that, you are inviting Jesus in. And you may say, well, I'm, not, I'm not sure about the whole Jesus thing. Well, he's not upset with you if you take a step towards him. He's not at all waiting for you to get it figured out before he loves you. Second thing is, we have participation boxes. Many of you have been generous to us, and so we're so grateful for your financial support if you want to worship in that way. And then thirdly, we have folks that will just be around here who... Um, will be available to pray with you. Because here's what I know. What percentage of stuff that was shared up there do you think people share with lots of other people? Right? So most of us walk alone with our pain. And we were never meant to carry some of this stuff by ourselves. So one of the ways we seek to embody communities, but just by having the most gracious, kind folks we can possibly come up with. And it's Slim Pickens. No, I'm teasing. We have such a phenomenal team. <laughs> Who want to just sit and, and receive and pray. And let us stand with you in that. All right? So, close your eyes if you would. I'm going to pray for you. Izzy and her crew are going to lead us in some singing again. If you feel like standing... Stand. I mean, we're cool with it at sporting events. If you want to stand and raise your arms and cheer, go for it. It's also cool if you don't want to. And clearly, a lot of you have embraced that part. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
oh, you guys have no, you have no idea how much I look forward to Sundays. You have no idea how much I look forward to this. Just the weirdest collection of people. I love it. I just absolutely love it. It just looks a lot like the kinds of people Jesus would um, call together. People who have nothing else in common but him. I love that. And so, Lord Jesus, we honor you this morning with this bread and this cup. We thank you for affection in the second row. We thank you so much for hats that don't have Cleveland Cavaliers on them. We thank you so much for the community of misfits and outcasts and screw-ups that have gathered in this room to celebrate your great faithfulness. God, we realize the table has been set, the meal has been purchased at great expense, and the invitation is out there. And Lord, I pray by the power of your great name that you would war against the condemnation and judgment that sits against those in the midst of great pain. And that you would open us up to the possibility that even this darkness, even the self-inflicted darkness, even the darkness that seems hopeless can somehow be used to put on display your great works. And so wake us up just a little bit to the possibility of hope this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen and amen. We're so glad you're here, and we're so glad that... um, we're able to have these kinds of conversations. We realize that an hour or so together uh, every week doesn't, uh, doesn't solve all our problems, but it just reminds us of stuff we already know. And so I want to send you out, uh, as always, with blessing. Um, we have cards on the table if, if you don't want to go online, if those computer things scare you. Um, <laughs> we have forms you can fill out if you want to let us know you were here, sign up for anything. Those go in the participation boxes as well. High school, college, come say hi. Other than that, would you stand with me? And you don't have to. If you don't have to, if you're in high school and you're like, no, I'm not. I don't. That's fine. That's fine. I'll come say hi to you. Uh, But I want to just do our blessing over you. And uh, particularly if you're uh, new with us, glad you're here. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and may he give you peace today. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com participate.